0: This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes.
1: Good afternoon. My name is Maeve DeVoy and I am the Associate Director of the CAP Center here at UCSB and I'm also the Program Coordinator for the Taubman Symposia in Jewish Studies. Richard Hecht, our director, is unable to be here today, so he asked me to do the honor of introducing Irvin Unger, who is our first speaker of the spring quarter. It's indeed a great delight and honor to have Mr. Irvin come to UCSB. He's an internationally recognized expert on the work and life of the great 20th century American artist Arthur Schick. Unger has served as curator and consultant for numerous Schick exhibitions worldwide, including at the New York Historical Society, the San Francisco The Fine Arts Museums of San Francisco, as he mentioned, the German Historical Museum in Berlin, and at the United States Holocaust Museum in Washington D.C. Unger has been invited to speak at universities and cultural institutions throughout the country and across the world. Mr. Unger is a former pulpit rabbi who is fluent in Jewish history and tradition and for the past decades he has worked as an antiquarian. Since 1987 he has been the CEO of the firm Historicana which he founded. In 2017, Mr. Unger received the prestigious National Jewish Book Award for Arthur Schick, Soldier in Art, which is the subject of today's presentation. Thanks to our friends at Chaucer's Books, we have copies of the books if you would like to purchase them afterward. And at the end of the lecture today, Irvin will be happy to sign copies of the book for you. You will also find on the tables to my right a number of materials that Mr. Unger has displayed on the tables. We are indeed fortunate to have Mr. Unger here with us today, and I ask you now to join me in extending a very warm welcome to Irvin Unger.
0: Thank you, Maeve, for inviting me to Um, And to Richard, please extend my thanks to uh, Richard for uh, inviting me, and I'm delighted uh, to be here. Uh, First, before I um, begin with my slides, I want to just set the table for you by mentioning three dates that you need to keep in mind so that everything I uh, speak about will fit into the context of these dates. The first is 1894, 1894. And that is the year in which Arthur Schick was born in Ludge, Poland, in Łódź, Poland. 1894 is also the same year that Norman Rockwell was born in New York City, a city that Arthur Schick was destined to come to. And he did, which is the second date that I want you to know, in 1940, when he arrived here after having spent three years from 1937 to 1940 in England at the time that World War II broke out. Schick was uh, uh, in Great Britain. 1940, he came to America and settled in New York City, and he died in New Canaan, Connecticut in 1951. Uh, Schick was 57 years old. In 1933, in the year that Hitler came to power, an invitation was extended to a Jew in Poland, one Jew in Poland, to come to the United States to exhibit his works on freedom at the Library of Congress. And on a cold, snowy day in December 1933, Arthur Schick arrived with his wife, Julia, shown in the upper left-hand corner. Photographers were gathered at the docks to take photographs of this well-known artist in the United States, and they were there to welcome him. And when he arrived here, his art, his works on freedom were on exhibit at the Brooklyn Museum. And then in 34, they were shifted over to the Library of Congress. While Arthur Schick was here for seven months, he was decorated with the George Washington Bicentennial Medal by the American Congress for his works on freedom. And this is already after he had been decorated by the governments of Poland and of France. Schick, in 1919 and 1920, served as the director of art propaganda for Poland in its war against the Soviet Union, a Jew, the head of Polish propaganda. And he was decorated by the Polish government with the Gold Cross of Merit for that and for other works that he did to build bridges between peoples. And then he was decorated by the French government with the Palm Académique for works that he had done to uh, to advocate for freedom and justice for the people uh, in France. And so here it is, the chick is here in the United States, 1933-34, and in 1934, 1934, um, he returns uh, back to Poland. What I'm showing you here are two works of art, uh, two uh, works that represent portfolios of art. That is, on the left, you see the Statute of Kolish, which is uh, uh, here. These are the laws of the city of Kolish that were passed in the year 1264 by the Polish government to grant civil and religious privileges to Jews and which were reinforced over the centuries by Casimir the Great. And Schick thought it was important in 1927 while living in Paris to illuminate that portfolio. Why? Because he wanted the people of Poland and of Europe to recognize and grant civil and religious privileges to Jews, and that in turn those countries would benefit as Poland did when it empowered Jews in the 13th century. So Schick's work of 40-some paintings of this portfolio were exhibited at the Library of Congress. And before moving to the second body of work, what I want to tell you about this is is that this body of work spoke about the mutual and beneficial cooperation between Jews and Poles throughout the centuries, and the Polish government in 1932 traveled this entire portfolio to 14 cities in Poland. You won't read that in your textbooks because what you will mostly hear about um, or outside of the textbooks of the prejudices that many Jews have for Poles Poles have for Jews but see Schick was involved in the mix where it was to build bridges between people. And so this work was exhibited at the Library of Congress in addition uh, to this body of work here called Washington and His Times, which he also completed in Paris in 1930, 38 paintings dealing with George Washington and the American Revolution, the whole history of which Schick learned even before he had ever visited America. And these bodies of works were exhibited there. And then Schick returned. And then Arthur, ugh, I just did something and I need to get back to the original slide. How do I do that? (laughs) Hold on, we need to do that. Okay, you have to stop the tape. (laughs) This film is being filmed. I hit the wrong button. Oh. Oh. Okay. I need to get back to the Um, to advance this. Am I hit this one over here or this down here? Uh, This one. And then the one for the for the that is that. All right, so, you know, just, I have to take a course. All right. So can oh, can you turn the lights down a little bit? Yeah. I don't know. Try. Yeah, the colors are so vivid on the screen. They're on the screen. Yeah. Is that is that better? Yeah, you can see the screen here. Okay, very good. Excuse so, the is this series on exhibit anywhere in the States? Yeah, it's, it, the, the series of Washington's Times is owned, well, it was purchased by the President of Poland and given to Franklin Roosevelt, and uh, when Roosevelt was giving his famous Four Freedoms speech in January of 1941, all 38 paintings of freedom of Arthur Schick were hanging in the White House, and now they're at the Roosevelt Library in Hyde Park. So after Schick is here in the United States, to go back to my presentation before I messed up with the slides. In that, in, After Schick is here for seven months, he returns back to Poland in 1934. Hitler is in power then for a year and a half. And it is then that Arthur Schick sets out to illuminate the great book of freedom in Jewish tradition, which is the Passover Haggadah. And this book, this Haggadah, of 48 illuminated pages, is going to be different than any other Haggadah that has ever been illustrated. And there are more than 5,000 different editions of the Passover Haggadah, some with different languages, different commentaries, different illustrators. But in 1934 to 1936, when Schick worked on these paintings in Ludge, which was right across the border from Germany over here, Schick was going to make this Haggadah different from any other in two ways. How is it? Arthur Schick saw Hitler as the new pharaoh and the Nazis as the new Egyptians who had come to annihilate his people. And so he painted swastikas on all of the Egyptians and on snakes in the Haggadah. They were actually painted over before it was published in 1940. But I can tell you more, I can tell you in a little while how I know the swastikas were there. But that's what he did. But if you look carefully though, if you look at this image here of the wicked son of the four sons of the Passover. Uh, of the, that are spoken about during the Passover Seder you'll see that these are Polish Jews here, this is a German Jew the wise son, the simple, the one who doesn't know how to ask and the wicked son who's almost dressed as a, as a German uh, bourgeois fellow with riding boots, a crop, a feathered hat a, a, a cigarette coming out of his mouth and a Hitler mustache and so remnants of what he was referring to are found in the Haggadah itself The second thing that made Schick's Haggadah different from all others is that Schick was going to advocate for heroism among the Jews of Europe. In 1934, 35, and 36, and in 1935 already the Nuremberg Laws have been passed in Germany because he's going to paint in this Haggadah David with the head of Goliath. What does David have to do and and Goliath have to do with the Passover story? Nothing. But for Sheik, they have everything because it's about standing up to power. It's about taking a stand, being activist. And Elijah's in the Haggadah, not just with the Elijah's cup, but Elijah's slaying Ahab in the Haggadah, standing up. Or Moses is shown not as a religious figure, but as one who has a, a, a body as if he had come out of Jack LaLanne or something. For having trained, he looks physical because Moses in Sheik's Haggadah has his arms raised. And only time Moses' arms are raised in the Bible is when they defeated the Amalekites in battle. When his hands were down, they would lose. When they were up, they won. Shiksaul, Moses is a military figure. He wanted Jews in the 1930s in Poland to respond with heroic measures. And the other thing in his Haggadah was he wanted the Jews to leave Europe. And so he, there's lots of Zionist elements that says, off to Palestine. I'll talk more about that in a while. The question now for me is, how famous was Arthur Schick during his lifetime? And then you will see his artwork that helps to illuminate that, and then I will fill in uh, between those works of art to explain to you why Schick was one of the most famous artists in the world when he was alive. Not only was he famous, but he was, how so? That's my job to show you now. Yes, ma'am. I'd like to take questions at the end if I can. So, what you'll see here on the far left is the cover of the Saturday Evening Post by Norman Rockwell. On the far right, the cover of Collier's Magazine by Arthur Schick. How well circulated was the Saturday Evening Post? They made three million of every copy of the Saturday Evening Post. How many copies of Collier's were reproduced? Two and a half million. Everyone who saw Rockwell saw Schick in the 40s but they saw exponentially more of Arthur Schick than they saw of Rockwell or knew of Rockwell. How so? Because Arthur Schick's artwork was exhibited at over 500 USO recreation centers. If you were a GI, a soldier, and you went overseas, you went through a recreation center, had papers processed um, to, to socialize, can you imagine exhibits at 500 different centers? If you go to an exhibition in town here, and you might see a famous artist, there's not going to be 500 throughout the country, 500 exhibits. And if you uh, also wanted to see Arthur Schick, if you picked up a newspaper such as the, the New York Post, it, it, from 1943 to 1944, in an 11-month period, there were over 90 works of Schick just in the New York Post alone. And I mentioned earlier, when Roosevelt gave his Four Freedom speech, 38 paintings of Schick were hanging in the White House. That's 11 months before the U.S. entered the war. And, and Eleanor Roosevelt used to write about Schick in her newspaper columns in my day, seeing him as if he were on the, on the fighting fronts and, and uh, through his art, which he was using as a fighting artist, as if he were there on the fronts himself, she would write. But when they spoke about Arthur Schick, how did they speak about him in newspapers? The way in which he was referred to was, art must be mobilized, declares the great Polish painter. Or here, how the great Arthur Schick wars on Hitler. Or if you look here, in the New York Post, when they were proud to announce that Schick would be shown, his artwork would be shown there, it speaks about the world famous artist and other places, the genius Arthur Schick. That he wasn't referred to as the artist, the painter, the illuminator, the caricaturist, the cartoonist. It was the great painter. It was the famous Arthur Schick. It was a a, a one. And they saw him as a one-man war against Hitler. This is from Click Magazine. Every. image I'm showing you comes from a different newspaper or a different magazine. It wasn't as if one newspaper or one magazine was out crusading for Arthur Schick. He was everywhere. Here, again, Arthur Schick, champion of his people. That is how he was seen in his own day. I already mentioned that he had been awarded, um, uh, he had been given medals by various countries, Poland, France, and the United States. But also, right after uh, World War I was over and the League of Nations charter was being worked on in Geneva, who was the one artist in the world who was invited to come to Geneva to illuminate the charter? It was Arthur Schick. He was just recognized everywhere. And now, I want to help you even understand this a little bit more. Suppose you're living in New York City, and it's the early 1940s. You wake up in the morning, you have your bagels or your grapefruit and your coffee and your your bagel. And you open up the newspaper, the New York Post, and there you see Arthur Schick's artwork right before you, either attacking the, the Axis or trying to motivate Americans to become involved in the war effort. It was propaganda art. It was used to to have people have a certain feeling about the enemy and also about a love of their country that they were fighting for. So you would see Schick's art in the New York Post. If you missed it that day, you'd see it there the next day. And then what happens is, after you finish your breakfast, read the newspaper, you say to yourself, I want to make a few telephone calls. So what do you do? You don't reach for your iPhone. You don't have it there. You don't have your... Well, you reach for your telephone directory. If you reach for your telephone directory, whose art, whose art would be on the cover of the Manhattan telephone directory where you live? It would be Arthur Schick. But that day... You had to go over to Brooklyn to have, to have breakfast with your cousin who was in Brooklyn, so you had to go to the Brooklyn phone directory, and Chicks Art would be on the cover of that also, but it would be different art. And so after you finish your telephone calls, you say to yourself, now I want to do something uh, more intellectual for the day. I think I want to go see a famous artist in Manhattan in one of the galleries that was the center of the art world in the 1940s. So you're going to go see Picasso, but Picasso's not in town that week. So you go to Wildenstein or, or you, go to no, you go to Nodler Galleries and whose artwork is on display? It's Arthur Schick at the finest galleries in the world in the, early, in the 1940s. And I was, in 1941, there were 25 exhibits of Schick just in New York City in 1941. And so you go and you see Arthur Schick on exhibit and then you realize I got to go home and rest but you know I have to catch up on correspondence. So you want to go put your stamps on the envelopes. So you reach for your stamps, and you find that you have poster stamps in your drawer, and these are all by Arthur Schick. And you put them on your envelopes, and you send them out to friends, and you finish all your mailing for the day. And at this point, you're pretty much exhausted from all the things you've done. You've seen Schick everywhere. You realize you haven't even eaten for the day. But Times Square's around the corner. There's lots of places to go. You know, I'm feeling like I want an orange soda. I'm feeling like I want a hot dog. So what do I do? I go over to Needix, and, my, and I go get my hot dog and my orange soda. And my neck is bothering me because I've been looking down all day, and I've been looking at the art. So I look up, and what do I see in Times Square? I see a billboard. By who? By Arthur Schick. And this is New York City. This is 7th Avenue and 42nd Street, It happens to be a billboard of a painting he did of Abraham Lincoln. Schick loved the American presidents, Washington, Jefferson, Lincoln. And here he takes Lincoln's second inaugural address, which talks about the binding up of the wounds of the orphan, the widow, uh, the soldiers after the Civil War. And Schick takes that art and he transports it to after World War II for a nation that needs to bind up its wounds after the war. And it's blown up as a billboard and it's in Times Square. How could you not, after seeing the Collier's cover, maybe the day before, seeing the New York Post, and going to these exhibits that are taking place all the time, not know who Arthur Schick is? And, and, he saw himself as FDR's soldier in art. He saw himself as a fighting artist. And here, this is a cover he did for a small uh, magazine called Scope, like the size of a Reader's Digest, where he did a portrait of FDR. This is not a talk about uh, is Franklin Roosevelt good for the Jews or not good for the Jews. Schick was a fighting artist. This was the commander-in-chief. He enlisted himself in, in Roosevelt's army as a fighting artist. In fact, before Schick came to the United States... He was in Canada for a few months and Canada was even harder to get into than the United States uh, particularly for a Polish Jew from Europe even though he had connections here he still went to Poland first and you know before you go into one of these countries you have to any of these countries you have to fill out documents where you're from what's your where are your birth uh, family name and so on and then one of the questions they always ask is what is your occupation And when Schick filled out his documents to go into Canada in 1940, before he came to America a couple months later, his occupation, he filled it out, I'm a fighting artist. And I mentioned his art was in the White House. You know, Rockwell's Four Freedoms are the most famous of them, and they should be because they raised money for the war effort. But before Rockwell created his artwork, as others did, other artists did of the Four Freedoms, Schick a year before, had created these Four Freedoms uh, paintings. And they became poster stamps and were widely distributed. Do you know Rockwell's image of freedom from fear? The child is being tucked in at night. The parents are safely uh, watching or hoping that he'll be safe when the child, when the child goes to sleep at night, very uh, secure in the home. Schick's version of the freedom from fear is very different, as you can see, because this, this, this is a, a medieval night. You have to fight for all of your freedoms. So you 'll see the difference. And when he arrived in America in 1940, his artwork began to appear everywhere. On the far left, this is a work of art that is from this Cornet magazine. It's called "The Madman 's Dream." What do you see? Hitler sitting on the throne? At his feet is the globe with swastikas on each of the continents. His cronies are by his side. The Jew, the untermensch, the subhuman Jew, is seen as a carpet uh, uh, before him that Hitler will put his feet upon. This is what Schick is saying is a madman's dream in 1940 for the American public that Uncle Sam and John Bull, England and America, will be in chains. This is what awaits us if we don't, become involved and engaged in what is going on in Europe. And Schick says, if we don't pay attention, this is what will happen. Again, also titled by A Man, Man's Dream, and this appeared in the American Mercury magazine, that, for which Schick uh, had done numerous illustrations as well, um, it, before America was in the war. And... One of the first illustrated books of its kind is Schick's The New Order that attacks the Nazis through his art, his satire, that penetrated very deeply, and it was published uh, in, in July of '41. By the way, his anti-Nazi art began in the early 1930s with Hitler coming to power. He had already drawn a picture of Hitler as Pharaoh in 1933. His art was appearing in magazines and newspapers in England. In fact, when he arrived here in 1940, the newspapers carried articles that Hitler had put a personal price tag on Schick's head. Whether it's true or not, because newspapers were at least carrying it, it meant that his art was very well known and was, to some extent, effective in, in a, as a motivating tool for the Allies uh, to respond and, uh, to, to the Nazis. There we go. So I mentioned that while Rockwell was doing the covers of the Saturday Evening Post, Schick was doing the covers of Collier's. These are two Collier's covers. Uh, on the left, we have the historic poker game. On the right, we have madness. On the right, you have Hitler with, uh, with Himmler and Goering around the globe as they're putting down their little flags, their Nazi flags on the various countries with um, the skeletons there. death have their arms stretched out with the words, All hope, abandon ye who enter here from Dante. This is madness. Goebbels, the propaganda minister, standing nearby with more little flags to put uh, on the globe. This Schick completed in September of 1941, again before the U.S. was in the war. And this piece on the left here also was completed by Schick in September of 1941. How do I know September? Because this is two of the pieces where he actually put the months on them. Usually it's just the year. And what you see from this is these are complicated works of art. But they're both done in September, so you know he finished both of them in September. Which meant Schick, while he was doing these, was doing other works of art. He worked really fast. So the most complicated work of Schick was done in less than one week. And keep in mind that the artwork was only this big. He was a miniaturist. Watercolor and gouache, pen and ink, always on paper, no no oils, not on canvas. And, and there were no preliminary drawings or sketches. He took the artwork and he went to work right there. And I know that because I, I had acquired the family's archives and documents and sketches and doodles and drawings that the family had, which were pencil drawings. That she, There wasn't one of a, a draw your sketch of any completed work that I knew of of Arthur Schick. And I, uh, I must tell you that other than Arthur Schick himself and maybe his wife... I'm sure that I've seen more original Schick paintings than anyone, even whether during his lifetime or not, and having examined them over the, past 20, over the last quarter of century. So I can tell you I have never seen a preliminary drawing or sketch of anything that Schick did, and I know for a fact that it took him less than a week, because I've interviewed both someone who commissioned Schick and someone who was Schick's agent, independently, about the same work of art, and, they, and thousands of miles apart, they told me the same thing, how long it took Schick to do that painting. So, the man was incredible, he just had it in his mind, it went to the paper, and he had to produce things as quickly. Now, I, wanna, I, want, to, uh, I want to explicate one piece, I want to decode... Uh, A work of art for Schick, so you have an idea of how one can begin to look at his pieces so that maybe next time you see some art, you'll begin to think about it in in different ways. And that is, I want to take a look at the historic poker game that's on the left here. The setting is this. Poland is here. Uh, Germany is here. The Soviet Union is here. They both invade Poland in September 1941. In January In June of 1941, Hitler decides that he's going to invade the Soviet Union. Schick sees this as a historic poker game. The historic poker game is being played by Hitler over here. He's playing cards against Ivan of Russia. Now, by the way, not Stalin, Ivan of Russia. In America, you have Uncle Sam. In England, you have John Bull. Here, it's Ivan of Russia. What is Hitler holding in his hand? He's got three wild cards. These are jokers. How do we know that they're jokers? Because if you looked up close with a magnifying glass at the original art, you'd see the chick paints the word joker on it. And who's the first joker? It's Mussolini of Italy. Who's the second one? Patan of the Vichy French. Who's the third? Hirohito of Japan. These are the three cards that Hitler holds. Who's hold, who is Ivan holding in his hand? He's holding America and Great Britain. These are the allies in June of 41 with the Russians. And America at the time is sending over gold and, and uh, military equipment for the allies, for Britain and supporting that, the group, the allies. So what's going on here? Uh, anybody here play poker? No, you don't want to admit, I want to tell you something. My father won the World Series of Poker in 1997. So I know a little bit about poker. That was my dad. And by the way, in 1997, you didn't win millions of dollars. It was $40,000 and a gold bracelet. The gold bracelet is what counted. My son has that now. But it, you don't have to even play poker to know the three of a kind always beats a pair, always beats two of a kind. But for Schick, not that's not the case. How do we know that? Well, The way we know that is because Schick has put more chips in front of the pair than he has in front of the three of a kind. And why is that? The reason is, is because these, are joke- these jokers are wild cards, and no one knows what wild cards are going to do. But a pair of aces in the hole, this is a good thing. Schick bets on the Russian, while Death, with a beautiful uniform, looks on, because no matter who wins the battles and who wins the war, the only one who comes out on top is death. While Hitler is pulling along here his acolytes, you know, the other, other uh, nations that have become part of the axis with tattered pants, uh, sterling clothes, and this is the historic poker game. Now, I brought another Collier's cover, but just pretend for a moment this has the cover of the historic poker game. Equally important, if not more important to me, than the artwork on the cover is that when you opened up the Collier's magazine that had this artwork on the cover, which was the first cover he did for Collier's, there was a piece of paper that was laid in here that if you opened up like this, it'd fall out. It was a piece of paper, and you can't find it with any of the magazines you buy today because it would have been lost, like covers of dust jackets of books are often taken off and lost. This was a piece of paper in red ink. It was from Arthur Schick, signed by Arthur Schick, And it was addressed to the people of America. And what did Schick say in it? He said, I want you to know how privileged I am as an immigrant to America to create this artwork for the American people. My son is fighting somewhere in North Africa with the Gaul and the Free French. I hope someday to become an American citizen. You have no idea what it is to be an immigrant to serve this country. Arthur Schick. And after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, whose artwork is on the cover of Time magazine, showing Admiral Yamamoto as the aggressor? It's Arthur Schick. Now, I want to change gears totally, completely. Look at this work of art. What do you see? You see lifeless and dying Jews. The title of this piece is De Profundis. It means out of the depths. It comes from Psalm 130 in the Bible. Out of the depths I call to you, O Lord. Help me, save me, rescue me. This psalm is very important for Jews. It's part of... Jewish liturgy. It's also very important for Christians as it's part of Christian liturgy. And now, in the upper left-hand corner, what do you see? You see Jesus here holding the Ten Commandments with the Jews. Schick saying, if Jesus were alive in 1943, when he drew this work of art, he too would have been killed, Jesus, as a Jew. Now look at this. I've made two Christian references here. Schick has made them. Both that this is for both Jewish and Christian liturgy and Jesus is here with the Jews. I'm going to come back to that in a second. There are two paintings I want to call your attention to. In 1937, Picasso painted Guernica in response to the bombing of Guernica, showing human tragedy. One year later in 1938, The Jewish artist Mark Chagall painted a work of art called White Crucifixion in response to Kristallnacht. What did he show in his paintings? What happened on Kristallnacht in 1938, November? Burning synagogues, burning houses, Jews fleeing with Torah scrolls. But in the center of that painting, Chagall painted a a huge cross with Jesus on the cross in the middle of that work of art. It's a piece that's controversial for many Jews and many Christians, but it happens to be the favorite work of art of the current Pope, of Pope Francis. Now, what does Picasso's Guernica and Chagall's White Crucifixion and Arthur Schick's De Profundis have in common? All of them, 1937, 38, and 43, all of them document human tragedy. But Schick's work of art does something the other two do not do. And what he does is that by adding the phrase here, Cain, where is Abel thy brother? Which is the phrase in the book of Genesis when the first brothers, there's already a murder in the world where Cain kills Abel and God says to Cain, Cain, where is Abel thy brother? Not because God, if one believes in God, one believes in the attributes that God is all knowing. It isn't because God needs to know. God knows. It's for Cain to know. What have you done? Who is responsible for this death? Who is to be held accountable? Where is justice to be served? And what Schick is saying here, who is to be held accountable for this? How will justice be served? Who is responsible? Now, one of the things you need to know is that every work of art that Arthur Schick created was always done for the purpose of reproduction, it was to be in a magazine or a newspaper. If His artwork wasn't created to match the colors of the sofa in one's living room. They were made to agitate, to stir, to motivate, to cajole, anything that they could do. Where did this appear? Where did this, what newspaper did this appear in? It appeared full page in the Chicago Sun in February of 1943. That already was, had already been announced to the world that two million Jews had been murdered with four million more to go. How did this get in the newspaper? Did the owner of the Chicago Sun place it there? No. Did the editor say we should be concerned about what's happening to European Jewry, put it there? No. Which Jewish group paid for this? The answer is no Jewish group paid for it. It was paid for by a Christian group. How do we know it was paid for by a Christian group? Because in the bottom text here, it tells us that this was paid for by the textbook commission of the Protestant Digest. What do they say in all of this? What they said is that because of the anti-Semitism that has been taught in our textbooks over the decades, and because the 2,000 years of persecution that we have been involved in. Because all of this is not only anti-Semitic, it is not only anti-American, but it is anti-Christian itself. And that's how Schick's artwork was used. And now, I want to say this to you. You can go and read all the textbooks that might be out there, not these kinds of textbooks, but art textbooks, or listen to art historians speak, or Jewish people speak about Jewish artists. What I will say to you now, which I'm also willing to say to the camera, which this will be shown to many more people, is that there is no artist who was more active for the rescue of European Jewry during the war than Arthur Schick. He was the most single, most important Holocaust artist And in my mind, this is the single most important work of art created during the Holocaust, not only because it was there front and center for everyone to see in 1943, and not only because of the message that is underneath it, that calls about accountability and responsibility, but because it was also reproduced in other magazines and other journals, and, and lectures were given, and dialogue was taking place, and that's how Schick's artwork was used. This was an activist artist, a fighting artist, working on behalf of his people. And now, uh, change just a tad more. This work is called Palestine Restricted, 1944. It also appeared on the front cover of a, a magazine, a journal, actually not a magazine, a journal, in 1946. First 1946. The journal, as you see it here with a blue background, called Palestine was organized by American Jewish groups and given as a journal and a a program to President Harry Truman with the idea that he would someday support the idea of the creation of a Jewish state in Palestine, which he did in 1948, but whose artwork was on the cover of this, Arthur Schick. And now to the artwork itself, Palestine Restricted. What is being restricted? By whom? It's being restricted by the British. The British had a mandate over Palestine. They had passed a series of white papers. The most powerful white paper was the MacDonald White Paper of 1939. That is a document that stated that only 75,000 Jews a year, among the millions of Jews in Europe, can be allowed to immigrate to Palestine. If you, over a four year period, 39, 40, 41, or uh, 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, over 300,000 Jews could go among the millions. But guess what? The McDonald White Paper also said after March 31st, 1944, no Jew can go into Palestine unless the Arabs of Palestine vote to accept the Jews. That was the British White Paper. Schick is enraged by this. The Nazi vulture is lurking over here. The huddled Jews are over here. The gates of Palestine are locked. The words here are white paper on this lock. The Jews are in chains. They feel enchained, enslaved in Europe. Palestine is restricted, and the date, March thirty-first, 1944, is there. I will also submit to you that there is no artist anywhere who created more artwork to help bring about the creation of the state of Israel, then Arthur Schick. Now, if I'm ever invited back, I can give you a whole program, and the same thing about World War II and the Holocaust. This is Arthur Schick. He was so prolific, and it was reproduced, and people used it, and they knew about him, and his artwork was everywhere. Two last slides. The next one. This is a work from the Passover Haggadah, Passover is coming in a few days. It needs a little bit more attention now. I have a question for you: How many of you saw a number of years ago the movie called *The King's Speech*? You remember that with George VI? That George, the George became the George VI became king in December of 1936. Schick was in Ludge, Poland in 1936 through the very end of 36. And it was that, when he's finishing his, all of his original artwork on the Haggadah, he decided that the Haggadah should be dedicated to George VI. Now, why? And first, let me show you that it is dedicated to George VI. As we look at this dedication page, what you'll see here, which you may not be able to make out on this green background, that's a G, and that's a Roman numeral six. Okay, And then, the text is, in Schick's calligraphy, this happens to be a large A here, for at... The feet of your most gracious Majesty, Your Majesty, I humbly lay these works of my hands, showing forth the afflictions of my people Israel. Arthur Schick, illuminator of Poland. Now, why would Schick dedicate the Hagada to George the Sixth? Two reasons. First of all. No one is going to publish his Haggadah in Europe with the swastikas on them, with the Nazis, even though Schick had books published in Vienna and Munich in 1932, ironically 1932, before two of the most anti-Semitic cities in Europe. Schick has books on freedom published in those cities. But no one is going to publish his Haggadah after he finished it in 1936 with swastikas. So he goes off to England to have it published. Going to England, dedicated to the king. But that's not the real reason. The real reason was that Schick saw England in 1936 at the forefront of fighting for the free world, at the forefront of fighting the Nazis. Remember, America's not in the war for five more years, till 1941. So you dedicate the Book of Freedom to the British, who are going to be fighting for the freedom of the free world and hopefully help in the rescue of Jews to the extent that is possible. So Schick dedicates this. But there's a problem. There's a problem with this dedication page. And what is the problem? The problem is that Schick knows that the British had already passed white papers, not the 1939 MacDonald white paper that's after 36 when he does this, but in 36, the British had already passed other white papers that had restricted the flow and emigration of Jews out of Europe to Palestine. How is Schick going to dedicate this great book of freedom, the Haggadah, to the British, who are restricting the exodus of the Jews out of Europe in his own day. On the bottom right, he paints European Jews who want to have an exodus from Europe. Remember, this book is about the exodus of the ancient Israelites out of Egypt. And on the bottom left-hand corner, on the gates entering into Jerusalem, here you may not be able to see it, is the word tzion, Jerusalem, Zion, the land of Israel, he paints Jews who want to leave Europe and get to the land of Israel, and in between, on this body of water, he paints not a passenger ship, this happens to be a British military ship that stands between the Jews leaving Europe and entering the land of Israel, and this is the way Arthur Schick introduces his Haggadah, when it is finally published in 1940 in London in an edition of 250 copies, where it is the most expensive new book in the world, selling for $500 per copy. The King George gets the first copy. Keep in mind, this book was published in 1940. What's happening in England? The Battle of Britain is taking place. Bombs are falling, and they're publishing this Polish-Jews Haggadah, it is published with his words. The first copy goes to the king. The king receives it with his dedication page. For Schick, this is a religious book, but it's a political book. It's about Jewish survival. It's about justice. It's speaking truth to power. Here you see a self-portrait of Arthur Schick in quasi-military garb as a soldier in art with a palette in hand. He's not a mere art a caricaturist, cartoonist. They don't have palettes. an illuminator, illuminator of Poland, standing by the Polish eagle, standing by his people, the Jewish people, I had in my possession a letter written from George's librarian at Windsor Castle to Beaconsfield Press, who published Schick's Haggadah. It's the only book they published. They were formed to publish this book, and the letter to the Beaconsfield Press and to Arthur Schick was from the King's librarian, George VI, that the king loves this book so much that for a fortnight, for two weeks, he showed it to everyone who came to Windsor Castle. Now, whether the king saw the dedication page or understood it, we don't know. The symbolism here abounds. The, the idea of a soldier slaying a dragon is the idea of of George King slaying the dragon, the triumph of good over evil. And the symbolism goes on and on and on. And this is the way his Haggadah works. It's layered. It's layered with meaning and meaning and meaning. It continues. It's one of the great, Books, in my opinion, in the world, is one of the greatest works of art ever conceived of by a Jewish artist. And in world art, it needs to be examined and re-examined and re-examined to understand the genius and the greatness of Arthur Schick. And my last slide. Oh, not my last slide. I have to actually, uh, I forgot. I actually have uh, two more before the last one. What does this painting have to do with everything that I've spoken about so far. I want you to know it has everything to do with it. How so? Um, this is a painting of Kosciuszko, a Polish patriot, who together with Kazimir Pulaski were two Poles who came to America to serve under Washington in the Continental Army in the, in, during the American Revolution. Why did Chick do this work of art? Well, he actually did 23 portraits of Poles who contributed to the well-being of America and he did these in 1938, almost on the eve of World War II when he hoped there would be closer relations between Poland and America. By the way, do you know which country in Europe has the closest constitution to the Constitution of the United States? Poland. Anyhow, Schick loved three countries in his lifetime. Poland, the land of his birth, he didn't like the anti-Semitism. He loved Israel, which he saw as the land of his people, and he loved America, which he saw as the land of his ideals. And in this work of Kosciuszko, which brings together the American flags here, the Polish flags here, in this sort of building of bridges between nations, he wants to emphasize what Kosciuszko did for America. So Kosciuszko was the head of the artillery in the American army. He also was the architect of West Point. And when you see this portrait, Almost always when Schick does portraits of military figures, he always has a background here where there's a military battle going on. This military battle that he was involved in is missing from this portrait. And the question is why? Why? Because the central element in this portrait is not the battle, not the soldier, not the architect. It happens to be this document. And the question is, what is this document that's in Kosciuszko's hand, this is Kosciuszko's last will and testament. Before he went back to, to Europe for the second and final time in 1794, he made out his last will and testament to his good friend Thomas Jefferson. And Kosciuszko was owed approximately $15,000 in mo- that money of that day by the American government, and he says to his friend Thomas Jefferson, in the service of America and being owed $15,000, equivalent of that, I want you, my good friend, to have this money. And with this money, I want you to take it and I want you to purchase the freedom of your slaves. Jefferson did not do that. But you see, Schick knows what's going on in the 18th century. He paints it in 1938 on the eve of World War II when racism and bigotry and hatred are at its peak with the idea that on April 14th, 2019, there will be people gathered at UC Santa Barbara and will understand the same thing because the same thing is necessary in our own day. And that is the eternal value of Arthur Schick's art. This is an artist who used to say, art is not my aim, it's my means. And in World War II, you know there were segregated units. Blacks and whites couldn't serve together. Schick is fighting racism abroad and what it can lead to. Don't forget the, Jap- the Japanese and the racism towards the Chinese, which resulted in the murders and, and the death of 20 to 25 million Chinese Schick saw the Japanese as the Nazis of the East. Look, the cover of Colliers, and so on throughout his art. And Schick here is outraged again by the treatment of the minorities in America. When he's FDR soldier in art, fighting abroad, but his it's like there's no blinders on Schick. He's like wide open, and he creates works like this where the white soldier. Is, is walking with a black soldier, the black GI, and the white soldier says to him, and these are all six captions, this is art. it says, what would you do with Hitler? And the black soldier responds, I would make him a Negro. And I would drop him somewhere in the USA. Because that is the greatest punishment you could give to someone, is to do that and that's what he hoped for Hitler. And that." Was this work published? The answer is no, it was not. But this one was. This is an African-American hero during World War II. After the war is over, how do I know he's a hero? Because what Schick does is he paints a purple uh, heart here on his chest. He has a cross here, a purple heart. He has his hands tied behind him with rope. He's forced to kneel. Over his shoulder is the Ku Klux Klan. And in 1949, when Schick draws this, he takes the words of the book of Luke and he flips them on its head and says, Do not forgive them, O Lord, for they know what they do. And this was published in New York in a newspaper, in the Compass newspaper in New York in 1949. And the Four Freedom's Prayer A prayer here on the left, uh, not really written by Jefferson, but a prayer that we know, uh, we're not sure of the authorship, but the four freedoms are around the side, while the birth of a new nation here, uh, symbolized by the Virgin Mary and the the birth of Jesus, the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, the black man and the Jew, all as if united in common cause, where the, the gifts of liberty and freedom of the three wise men are being brought to the new nation, and that the government of the people by Abraham Lincoln at his Gettysburg Address, and for the people, uh, uh, that the government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish. And, and it also says here, um, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I missed some words, by the way. You know which words I missed? One nation under God. Yeah, because it didn't happen until after this painting was done. So Schick had the words in at the present time. And then my last image. On the far left, you have the Proclamation of the Establishment of the State of Israel, which Schick completed in 1948. In Julia Schick's diary, in Arthur Schick's wife's diary, she wrote that she saw her husband, Arthur, cry only two times in his life. Once was when he learned that his mother... And brother had been taken from the ghetto of Ludge to some killing center. He didn't know where. He thought Maidonic, but they were actually murdered in Chelmno, in in the Chelmno killing center. That was one time she said, I saw him cry when he thought that in 42 they had been taken. And the second day she said that she saw him cry was when the state, when Israel declared its statehood in May of 1948. And that's when he sat down to illuminate this uncommissioned, this proclamation of the establishment of the state of Israel. As she said, she saw though Arthur Schick saw those who fought for Israel's independence as if they were his own children. Hence, the proclamation of the establishment of the state of Israel, and next to it, I, uh, and and next to it, is the Declaration of Independence of the United States, which Schick. Again, uncommissioned, created in 1950. He hung them side by side in his home. Why do I love Arthur Schick so much? And I was two years old when Arthur Schick died, even though for 25 years I've been uh, friendly with his daughter, Alexandra. She died a couple of years ago at age 94, and who I spoke to, Regularly, every couple weeks, I visit her a few times a year. I love Arthur Schick because if I look to the statement of the biblical first century sage Hillel, who said, if I am not for myself, who will be for me? If I am only for myself, what am I? And if not now, when? Schick loved the Jewish people he fought for them. He felt for their fought for their dignity. He felt fought to raise the prestige of the Jew in the world. And he used the best of that value system to be an advocate for humanity at large. And do you know what that says? That says no matter who you are, Jew, Muslim, Christian, believe in who you are and in your people. Do whatever you can for them and use the best of that tradition to make the world a better place. That's Arthur Schick to me. And I'll tell you one other thing. The way in which I came to Arthur Schick was because of the many colors in his art. They jumped out. They leapt at me. I, and then it became the messages. How could you not be attracted to art which fights against injustice and indignity for freedom? I understood, and then I began to look at the art itself, independent of the messages, to see that there was genius and greatness in the art. And so I saw an artist who combined great messages with great art. But then I realized one last thing, and that was that behind the great art and behind the great messages stands Arthur Schick, the great man. Thank you very much.